Hi, I'm Joanne Quinn and I'm the owner of With You In Mind, a corporate wellbeing company that supports organisations through consultancy and training to improve mental health and wellbeing at work. Before I worked in wellbeing, I worked in the recruitment industry for 16 years and so I'm delighted to be working in partnership with the REC to bring you these sessions on mental health and wellbeing in the workplace to support an industry that I've really loved working in. And this session is aimed at leaders and decision makers. And what I'm going to be talking to you about today is what you can do to ensure you're doing the most you can to support positive mental health and wellbeing in the workplace. 82% of recruitment consultants experience stress while at work. So this is a very real problem that needs support from the highest level in the organisation down to make positive changes that are needed. But mental health, what is it? Well, we all have it and we all have mental health in the same way we all have physical health. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. But we must all of us become more aware of our own mental health and the mental health of the people around us and how that mental health fluctuates and what we can do to cope when it does fluctuate. It is all of our responsibilities to make this change. And we need to create a culture of positive mental health and well-being. And this is so important and you need this to attract and retain the right talent into your organisation to allow people to feel valued and cared for and to enable people to thrive, not just survive. And don't forget, as employers, we also have a legal responsibility to tackle any work-related stress. And creating a culture of well-being these days is, is not just a nice to have or a tick in the box, it's an absolute must have. Otherwise, your organisation will be as productive, as engaged, and as healthy as they really need to be. So mental health in the workplace is still very much the elephant in the room, but can we afford not to take action to address this? Every year, poor mental health in the workplace costs employers 45 billion pounds. Now, as you would expect that 45 billion pounds, some of that cost is associated with absenteeism, but more than half of that cost is attributed to presenteeism and leaveism. And possibly even more shocking is the fact that every year, 300,000 people with mental health conditions lose their jobs. And there are many factors in the workplace that affect our mental health and can have a detrimental effect on our mental health. And some of the more prominent of these have been proven to be things like long hours, which affect work-life balance, increases in pressure and workload, poor managerial support, poor relationships with colleagues, and a general lack of trust in the ability of line managers to be able to adequately support and understand how to help people with mental health issues. And even though mental health is moving higher up on organisational agendas, there is still much more that needs to be done. In particular, investment needs to be made around removing and reducing stigma around mental health, training and development for employees to raise that mental health awareness, 
so that we're all aware of how we can help ourselves and others. And investing in mental health and well-being has been proven to have a positive return on investment. With every £1 spent, you can expect to see an average of £5 return on investment and some organisations have even reported up to £11 return on investment. And this investment return is in terms of the costs associated with lower absenteeism, increased productivity and improved retention. But more than looking at the cash savings and the financial aspects of that return on investment, we must also be looking at the value on investment. And this is the non-financial benefit of investing in our workforce. And those benefits include a more healthy and engaged workforce with lower stress levels and more engagement. And it also gives you the competitive edge when recruiting into your company against other companies. And it's a minefield out there. There are so many mental health and well-being initiatives out there and programmes. How do you know that the money that you're investing is money well spent? How do you know that that motivational coach or that lunchtime fitness session has really added value and been money well spent? So the problem is you don't, not unless you know where your staff are in relation to their own personal well-being. And the only way that you can do this is by engaging with them, consulting with them, understanding where they are, what mental health issues they may be facing and what's contributing to poor mental health. And you can do this through surveys or you could do it through focus groups. And that information gives you a baseline from which to measure improvements in, in your staff mental health. And it also enables you to create a mental health and wellbeing programme that is specific and targeted to your staff. And it will make the biggest difference to them, to their lives and to your business. But creating a programme of mental health and wellbeing it can be quite daunting, but there are lots of guides and tools out there that can help. And one that I'm going to talk to you about today is called Thriving at Work. And the Thriving at Work um, was a report that was done for government back in 2017. And government wanted to understand more about the issues affecting mental health and wellbeing at work and what organisations could do to improve that. So this report had a bit of a refresh in 2019 and it sets out six standards for mental health and well-being in the workplace and I'm going to outline those six standards to you today. Standard one requires you to produce, implement and communicate a mental health at work plan. The plan needs to be based on best practice but it can also be written collaboratively with your employees. And in doing this, you can ensure that their views and needs are incorporated into the plan. The plan should have commitment from the highest level in your organisation, and it should clearly set out how you're going to promote positive mental health and wellbeing in the workplace, what support is available, and how staff can access that support if and when they need it. There also needs to be a mechanism in place for monitoring mental health of your staff and the ability of them to provide feedback. And that feedback would then feed in to your continuous improvement plan and ensure that it's always relevant, up to date and fit for purpose.
The second standard requires you to consider working conditions. And when referring to working conditions, you need to consider the working environment and also the workload. So when looking at the working environment, you need to consider things like the lighting, the noise levels and the temperature, people's workspace and the equipment that they use. And when looking at the workloads, you need to consider those of individual staff and make sure that they're appropriate for the experience and skill level and ability of those individual staff. Any other factors that affect mental health in the workplace should also be considered. And this could include things like lone working, no breaks, working long hours, excessive workloads, unrealistic deadlines and poor managerial support. Staff should have permission to have a work-life balance and they should be given the opportunity to be able to work flexibly and agile. There should be training and development plans in place for your staff and they should also be able to provide feedback and express any concerns that they have. Standard three is all about raising mental health awareness in your organisation. And by raising awareness, you're able to empower individuals to take more responsibility for their own mental health and well-being, and also support other people. All line managers need to receive mental health awareness training, as it is very often the line manager that will first notice any differences in the conduct or behaviour of somebody in their team. And it is often these changes in behaviour that the first sign and indicator that there may be a mental health issue. You can also appoint mental health first aiders or mental health champions. And these are individuals that are available to support people in crisis in the workplace and can also challenge stigma. But one of the best ways of raising awareness in the workplace is to have open conversations. And these conversations don't just have to happen when there is an issue. Have these conversations regularly and you can facilitate this through things like wellbeing fairs, blogs, leaflets, posters, taking time to talk. There's lots of ways in which you can facilitate these conversations so that people become more comfortable. And one of the best ways as well is to promote other people's mental health stories, particularly at a senior level so that people understand that mental health can affect anyone and they're not alone. Standard four is all about increasing your organisational confidence and capability. And you can do this through effective people management and training like stress management and mental health awareness. And this again will empower and enable individuals to look after their own mental health and support others. Line managers should have mental health and well-being built into their roles and responsibilities and any training they have should make them confident that they're able to not only understand the factors that affect mental health and well-being in the workplace, but also to spot the signs of poor mental health and to be able to have supportive and effective conversations.
Standard 5 requires you to have mental health tools and support in place. Now, these could be developed and delivered in-house or equally you could buy them in. And this could include things like digital and online sites, um, employee assistance programmes, cognitive behavioural therapy, occupational health and other services like counselling or even signposts to services within the NHS. What is vitally important, though, is that they are relevant for the issues that staff are facing, things like financial well-being. Standard six is about increasing accountability and transparency through internal and external reporting. And you can facilitate this through monitoring mental health of employees through mood trackers and surveys. You could include this information in your annual report and accounts, or you could create a standalone wellbeing report that includes things like survey results, HR data relating to sickness, any initiatives that you're planning or indeed have delivered and where you have delivered the initiatives include evidence and case studies. And you could also incorporate information on how you've adopted these six standards. So within those six standards, I outlined a number of tools and resources that you can access to really improve mental health and well-being in your organisation. So I'm just going to give a little recap and add a few more as well. Flexible working has a massive impact on employee well-being because it enables them to better manage their work-life balance. Employee assistance programmes are so beneficial. When people don't know who to turn to, or who to talk to, the employee assistance programmes are there every step of that person's life, whether it's bereavement, whether it's family problems, relationship problems, many problems. The employee assistance programmes can be a massive um, area of support for staff wellbeing. And these can be bought in. And in fact, the REC have partnered with Howden's to bring an employee assistance programme to its members. Mental health awareness training, mental health first aid training and stress management training are all areas that really improve mental health and well-being. And there are many training providers like myself out there that can bring you these training courses either on site or off site. Counselling services really support employees as well. And check your insurance policies because some critical illness policies or group income policies allow for counselling as part of that, that service that they provide. And there are also government um, schemes and services such as Fit to Work and Able Futures that really support staff and aim to help them stay in work even when they are suffering with mental health conditions. So if you'd like any information on some of the guidance, toolkits, resources that I've mentioned, they're all in the accompanying blog. So I hope you find them useful. But before we finish, I'd just like to finish off with a really positive story of an organisation that has done wonders to improve mental health and wellbeing. And that organisation is Thames Water. And they really wanted to create a culture of care within their organisation, but they didn't really have anything in place. So they created a strategy and a wellbeing programme that addressed both the physical and the mental wellbeing of their employees, because they believed they were two sides of the same coin and couldn't really be separated. And they created a culture of care. 
And what they did is they promoted their well-being uh, programme through uh, posters, leaflets, videos. They introduced training, mental health first aiders and guidance for managers as well to enable managers to have supportive conversations with employees. The videos have gone down really well and they're planning on doing a lot more and posters and leaflets were distributed to all members of staff so that they knew who the mental health first aiders were and how they could access them and how they could help. Everyone's received mental health awareness training too. But what's been the impact of this? Has it been worthwhile? Well, absolutely. As I say, the videos went down so well, they're planning on doing a lot more. And they've seen work-related illness reduced by 80%. And more than that, they create regular surveys around um, how people feel about the culture within the organisation. And they've seen a massive improvement in the KPIs on how people feel about the organisation. And it's much, much more positive. Obviously, not all organisations are as, as large as Thames Water, but what's really encouraging is that 80% of everything they did was cost neutral. It was just about doing it. And there are a lot of lessons that can be learned from Thames Water and other organisations because it is all of our responsibility to look after the staff wellbeing in our organisation.